would you bow your heads to pray with me? Oh, great Father, you know where every heart in this church is at this morning. We pray that through your word you would do business with our hearts. We pray that you would humble the proud and that you would give us such a vision of your glory that the bruised may be, they find their hearts bound up and we start leaping for joy and finding that you are more wonderful to us than anything else. And so may we find this morning through your word, joy in Christ to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, friends, have you ever thought about the power of the things that you look at? About how what you look at is shaping you day by day. That's what we're going to consider this morning. And I want to start with a little story from the great theologian Augustine. Something, he, a story he told about his friend Alepius. Now, Alepius, you need to know, he was a zealous, upright young Christian man. He, uh, he avoided anything he saw as worldly, and particularly, he hated the ancient Roman world's obsession with extreme violence, the gladiatorial combats. But Augustine tells us this. Some of his friends, this, this is young male friends, isn't it? used friendly violence to take him to the arena. And when they arrived and they found seats where they could, the entire place, the entire arena seethed with the most monstrous delight in the cruelty of the combat. Alepius kept his eyes shut and forbade his mind to think about such fearful evils. Would that he had blocked his ears as well. A man fell in combat, and a great roar from the entire crowd struck him with such vehemence, he was overcome with curiosity, and he opened his eyes. The shouting entered by his ears and forced open his eyes. And as soon as he saw the blood, he at once drank in savagery and did not turn away. His eyes were riveted. He imbibed madness, and without any awareness of what was happening to him, he found delight in the murderous contest. He was not now the person who had come in. He took the madness home with him so that it urged him to return. Friends, what you look at changes you. It will stamp itself upon your soul. Whatever it is, the thing that you spend time fixating on, looking on, will mold you into its own image. 
And what I'd like to do first of all is I want you to consider with me the Old Testament passage that Paul has in mind as he's writing here our passage, 2 Corinthians 3. So, if you have a Bible to hand, would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 32? Exodus chapter 32. Now, the context here is the Israelites have come out of Egypt and they've got to Mount Sinai and Moses has been away up the mountain and they're ready to create their golden calf idol. And in Exodus 32 verse 5, Aaron and the Israelites, here's the key word, see their golden calf idol. They're looking at the idol and like their mindless idol, they become mindless, forgetting the Lord and his mighty deliverances. Fix your gaze on sin and it will shrivel you. It will wither you to death. It will dehumanize you. It will rob you of your ability to think aright. It will rob you of your ability to relate to God aright, to relate to others aright. It will shrivel you to death. But next, after Exodus 32, in chapters 33 to 34, we see Moses, who asks to see something. Exodus 33, verse 18, he asks to see the glory of the Lord. And the result is Exodus 34, verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know. The skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Now to our passage. Here's what Paul says on that, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, like Moses, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We were created, friends, in the image of God that we might be like God, sharing his life, sharing his loving character. And we become what we were made to be by looking to Christ, who is the image of God. Beholding him, we become most truly human. All our faculties, our minds, our hearts, our lives get aligned and brought into his image. It matters where you look. It's why the Lord says in Isaiah, look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. Look and live. Psalm 17, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness and be satisfied with your likeness. It matters where you look. 
So let's press into Paul's argument in our passage. First of all, he's making a comparison that as Moses removed the veil whenever he turned to go to be with the Lord, he turned to the Lord and the veil is removed. And as he was with the Lord, his face would shine, reflecting the glory of the Lord that he was with. And just so, Paul says, a veil over our minds is removed when we turn to the Lord. And then we begin to shine with the glory of the Lord as we commune with him. There is a comparison there, you see. But there's also a contrast. Would you look at the first few verses there? Verse 7. He's saying, Moses had one kind of glory, we have another. Verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Now, what Paul's doing here is he's showing the contrast between the law and the gospel, between the letter and the Spirit. What you get with Moses and what you get with Jesus. And he's saying, a ministry of the law, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. That will look glorious because it's truth from God. But that ministry won't have the same power as the ministry of the gospel. And let's see why. Why does the gospel have power that the Lord doesn't? Why is that? Would you come back with me, if you can, to Exodus chapter 33, verse 18 again? Moses said, Exodus 33, verse 18, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But you cannot see my face. So what Moses saw and what the Israelites would be shown in the law was the goodness of God. Beautiful, incredible in, in the law. They'd see the holy perfection of God. They'd see how he would provide a sacrifice for sin. They'd see his commitment to his people and on and on. But what Moses did not see on Mount Sinai and what the Israelites did not see in the law was the very face of God. Now come back to 2 Corinthians. Now, in chapter 4, that we had read for us, Paul talks about this ministry, his arguments going on from our passage, and he keeps talking about this issue of veiling in verse 3. And then we read 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Now, remember, Moses heard, my face shall not be seen. Okay? Now, hear the contrast now. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. My face shall not be seen, we hear, 
For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They never saw the face of God. We do in Jesus Christ. In the law, the Israelites saw the sacrifices. We see the cross. Moses said, please show me your glory. We have seen the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his being. We've seen Christ who is the glory of God. And more. Could there be more? Yes. We have seen the hour of his glorification. When he was lifted up. And then we saw the goodness of God pass before us. In those nail marks. In those gasped words of forgiveness. We saw the goodness of God. We have seen glory in the face of Christ that we would never have dreamed of. Glorious humility from a throne of glory to a cradle in the dirt. Glorious humility, glorious holiness, glorious love. All the, the rainbow colors of God's perfections blazoned out for all to see at the cross. That, friends, that is the sight that tears the veil away. That is the sight that scatters our darkness. That is the sight we placard before the saints as we gather. And friends, whatever it is you do, as a student, as a full-time mum, as a politician, as an accountant, whatever you do, live to point people up to the glory of God in the face of Christ. Only in the face of Christ, especially Christ crucified, do you see how beautiful, satisfying this God is. I say that, but there may be someone here this morning of whom Paul would say a veil lies over their hearts. And maybe you've even felt it this morning. Christ has never really been desirable to you. Other things have had a more attractive glow. God maybe has seemed distant, unappealing to you. Oh, my friend, if that's you, look. Look to Christ crucified. Look and live. See. In Christ crucified, see him covered in blood, screaming with pain, all dying for you. This is no distant bore of a God. This is a God streaming with love, who could not love you more, a God who dies to embrace you, as you are, broken as you are. Look and live. And friend, if you're thinking, it's all very well for you to say that, Mr. Preacher. God may be beautiful and glorious, but he cannot be for me. 
because God is pure light and I, people around it may not know, but I feel so dirty. I feel like I am all darkness inside. A God of light, of purity is not for me. Dear friend, if that's you, we see the glory of God on the cross. God loves to display his glory in forgiving great sinners. He is a God who delights in showing mercy. He's not reluctant in doing it. He enjoys it. He delights to show mercy to the broken in blotting out their sin. And so if you feel your sin, if you feel your sin is too great for God to forgive you, don't rob God of his glory and try to cover up your sin by yourself. Let him prove himself to you right now as a glorious and generous redeemer. Because there is more power in Christ's blood than there is in your sin. Let him cover it up perfectly. And you know, dear friends, this sight of Christ isn't just a sight to win the unbeliever. The sight of the glory of Christ is what makes the faces of the saints to shine. They see him and they become more alive. They blossom in his light. This is the sight that the saints need because the glory of God in the face of Christ is like the sun rising on us on a winter morning. It is like the turn of winter into spring, a, a life-giving, warming light grows, making lives blossom. And that is why the glory of God in Scripture is regularly associated with shining light. Have you ever noticed that? You remember that night outside Bethlehem? The shepherds watching their flocks and the glory of the Lord shone around them, scattering the darkness. The, the glory cloud of the Lord blazed before the Israelites through the nights in the wilderness. And for the Christian, it works a little bit like this. Imagine, it's not hard to imagine in Chicago today, I think. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning and all the roads are covered in snow. Just imagine, it snows heavy tonight. And we wake up in the morning and everyone's snowed in and everyone gets to work. The, the emergency services are there. We would say gritting the roads. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Or does that not make sense? Gritting the roads, you use gritting lorries. You have gritting lorries, don't you? They're not called gritting lorries, are they? What are they called? They were called what? Snow plows. And what's the thing that, that? Salt trucks. Okay. Extraordinary language. So all the salt trucks, they all get to work. And all the emergency services are going to try to clear all the snow. And it's so much hard work. And everyone's working to remove all the snow. And it hardly does a thing. And then out comes the sun. Spreading its warmth. And in just a few hours, where's the snow? 
melted away. That, friends, is what the glory of Christ does in the gospel, where his face shines, sin's hard frost melts away. So, difference, what is it that you struggle with? What are, what are the, thi- the sins that, that embarrass you, that you just can't get rid of? What, what are those dirty, shameful things in your life that you struggle with? Whatever it is different, don't simply try to shovel it away like snow. It won't work. Thinking a lot of cleaning and sweeping will sort your life, it won't. Put everything under his light. Look for him in the scriptures. Be, praise him first thing in the morning. Praise him. Even when you don't feel like it, praise him. Compare him to all that tempts you. See how he loves the real you. Not the mask, but the real you. He loves you. You don't need to earn his love. See how he forgives you. You don't need to earn his forgiveness. See how he is better. Walking with him gives you more joy than when you walk in sin. Do that and you will find the coldness and the grip of enslaving ways beginning, maybe slowly, but beginning to thaw and loosen around you. And did you notice that extraordinary little comment in Exodus 34? Moses did not realize that his face was shining. He didn't realize. Moses wasn't trying to look radiant, unlike some Christians. It was an unforced, unconscious radiance because when a person looks upon the glory of God the light of God's holiness exposes them and so in that light as they see the glory of God they actually see themselves more clearly they see their sin and therefore A person who looks on the glory of God will feel more sinful, but will look more glorious. Do you know a senior saint who's like that, who's been walking with the Lord for decades? I hope you do. And you see them and they just seem to shine with Jesus' love and joy and generosity. They're just a delight to be around. Do you know people like that? I, I've got one in my mind. He was, he was like that. And I remember him crying over his sin. And I thought, I don't know what kind of sin is in your life. And when, when he told me one particular sin that he was struggling with, I thought, I'm not even sure I register that as a sin. It seemed so small to me. But he'd become so sensitive to his sin. So he felt his sinfulness more than I did, even though I was far more sinful than him. But he felt it, and yet, because he'd been transformed, he looked so radiantly Christ-like. Those who look to Christ, they feel more sinful, and they look more glorious. 
Brothers and sisters, this is what we were designed for. We gather to behold the glory of God because this is the nub of the eternal life we've been given. You see, God the Father has eternally enjoyed gazing on the perfection of his Son. And we are simply joining in with the Father and sharing his happiness in Christ. And we're joining in with the Son, enjoying his Father, crying with him, Abba, we praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And then, friends, and only then, do we think and feel straight when the one who is preeminent in reality becomes preeminent in our thoughts and the one who is the beloved of the Father becomes the beloved of our hearts. And in that work of transformation, as we look to him and become like him, so begins a work that friends will one day be perfected. For one day, in 1 John 3, 2, we read, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. You see, now the sight of Christ by faith begins to make us more like him. But in that day, in the full unveiled appearing of him, when, when we see him, when we clap eyes on him, the sight will be so majestically affecting, our very bodies will be transformed. And one day, ultimately, completely alive, we will be body and soul like Jesus, shining like stars, singing with our hearts in tune. Theologians used to call that sight of him, the beatific vision, which means a happifying sight, a sight that makes you happy. When he appears in the full sweetness of his glory, it will mean an end to all the darkness, all sin, all pain. It will mean an end to earthquakes, dictatorships, abuse, death, and that is our glorious hope. And whatever you're facing right now, look and live in Jesus Christ, and this is your glorious hope, the glorious appearing, appearing sight of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our sure and certain hope a certain hope to keep you through the storms. But even now, the shining sight of him by faith begins to drive away our night. We feel the dawn rising. Even now, with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord. He begins to put an end to the crookedness, the evil inside us. We begin to shine. And with that in mind, it's worth, it's worth looking at that core word of worship, hallelujah. Did you know the word hallelujah actually has a double meaning? Did you know that? Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, praise Yah, Yahweh the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
But the first meaning of that root, hallel, hallelu, means to shine. Meaning hallelujah could also mean, may the Lord shine forth. When we make him known in our praises, the one enthroned between the cherubim shines forth. And that's what Psalm 80 says when the, the, the psalmist cries, restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Because the shining forth of the Lord means the overcoming of darkness. It means the opening of eyes, the removing of veils, the defeat of sin and death the bringing of life. So friends, hallelujah. May the Lord shine forth, and he will, until that day when there will be no more night, and we will not need the light of lamp or the light of sun or moon, for the Lord God will give us all light, Revelation 22. And then, friends, the winter of our discontent we made glorious and eternal summer by this Son of God. And yet, we ridiculous sinners find it hard. We find it a struggle letting the Lord shine forth because we want the glory. We want people to see us shine. We want to outshine him. It makes me think of the story when the all-powerful Alexander the Great conquering the world. He, he was traveling with his great army and he came across the little philosopher Diogenes who lived very simply. And the conqueror of the world strode over to the little man and said, what can I do for you? Thinking I have everything to offer you, I'm so great. Do you know what Diogenes replied? Could you get out of the sunlight? <laughs> it was the best thing Alexander could do, step aside. People who think they are glorious are shadows. They get in the way of the sunshine of Christ. Rather like the God of this world. Dear friends, recognize the devilry of self-glory and step aside. Let people see the light of Christ. And you'll have more joy in doing so. Friends, this is what we gather to behold. This is worth living and worth dying for. Reveling in the light of the glory of Christ and reflecting, heralding him. Dear Moody Church, the Lord has blessed you. For decades and decades, he has blessed you. I appeal to you now, do not settle for less than the glory of Christ. Do not settle for wealth or comfort or status or success. Friends, these are piffling, passing things. Don't settle for them. Don't waste your life on them. And whatever it is you do, whatever it is you do with your time, however it is you help out at church, live and die for the glory of Jesus Christ.
because only he shedding his love and glory can truly transform people, this world, this city, and make an eternal difference for good. Friends, if we are to see Chicago enlightened by the gospel as we long to see, if we are to see light driving out the darkness here, Christ must be shown to be glorious. He must be shown to be more desirable, more precious than the many desirable and precious things people see around us here. Brothers and sisters, may that always be true for you. Hallelujah. May the Lord shine forth until the full dawning of his day. Let me pray. Oh, our Father, your Son is glorious, more glorious than our sin, more glorious than anything else. And I pray for my brothers and sisters now, for every friend here and watching, may they look and live. May they look to Christ and see him as more satisfying than anything else. And so may they find that they boast in Christ and not themselves. Find their joy in Christ more than in anything else. And so may they walk radiantly through the world, joyfully and singing you praises. In Jesus' great name, amen.